Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. I'm glad you're with us today. Glad uh, you're ready to study the Bible a little bit. And hopefully in 30 minutes we'll all know our Bible a little bit better. So that's what we're here for today. And glad that you've joined us. Uh, probably most of you are regular viewers. We've probably got a few that are tuning in for the first time. And this is about helping people know their Bible. Uh, we do it by answering questions. We let our viewing audience direct the program, tell us what they'd like to talk about. Uh, we just take questions either on the phone or on the website, uh, put them on the list and work through them just as quickly as we can. So that's what we do. And if you've got a question, maybe something you've always wondered about the Bible, uh, we'll try to answer it for you. Uh, maybe you've got something going on in your life at work or home or somewhere that you wonder, what's the Bible say about that? We'll try to find you an answer. Anything that uh, might come from the Bible, we'll work on it for you. So phone number, website on the screen, use them anytime, get in touch with us, and we'll try to help you know your Bible a little bit better. When I say we, I mean me and Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go. We've got some good ones coming up, and we always start with one for our viewers, so let's do that. Got a question about Joseph. Uh, who was his first owner? Sounds kind of odd to us, but he was a slave for a while. He was sold into Egypt, and who owned him first? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you know. All right, looks like I drew the first one today, and viewer wants to know about what Jesus knows. Now that Jesus is glorified, does he know the day of his second coming? He didn't when he was on earth. All right, well, our viewer has been reading the Bible, evidently, and found a verse in Matthew 24. Let's read it make sure we uh, know that this viewer is right. Matthew 24, 36, Jesus was asked, uh, when's the end of time coming? And he said, no one knows about that day or hour, uh, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. All right, so when Jesus was on earth here, people asked him when he was Coming back a second time, when's the end of the earth? And he said, don't know. Uh, now, our viewer says, well, he didn't know then. Does he know now when he went back to heaven? Uh, the Bible doesn't say. There's no specific statement that says now he knows that. Uh, it would seem quite reasonable to us that he does. Uh, he gave up some of his uh, uh, abilities, powers, rights, however you want to say it, uh, when he took the form of a human, and evidently part of that was he didn't know everything uh, while he was here as a human, and he's back now. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's back in perfect unity with him, uh, so we would certainly assume, yes, he knows everything that deity knows, uh, but I can't point out a verse that says he knows this now, but I'm 
pretty sure he does. <laughs> All right, what's your viewer after, Toby? Well, I got a. <clears throat> well, I'll just read the question here. <laughs> when I use God's name in vain and then ask forgiveness, am I forgiven? I am trying to keep from saying it. Well, I I think the last part of your question helps me understand the spirit of your question. Uh, certainly, if you've come to Christ out of the world and maybe you aren't used to to revering God's name, and of course you hear that television, uh, internet all the time, people just frivolously using the name of God. It's such an extreme divergence from how the uh, Jewish people, they they were so in, in fear of God's name, they so revered God's name, that they refused to even speak God's name. Uh, we don't know the, 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 the word in the Old Testament, the original Yahweh, but that's really just four letters put together that we kind of assume that's how it's pronounced. We don't know the pronunciation because uh, they refused to, to speak it. They, did, they thought they held it in that much esteem uh, all the way to our culture where it's just used very flippantly and, and irreverently, certainly. And that's not a good thing. Um, God's God's word is to be held uh, in esteem, and God's name is to be honored. Uh, so yes, you can be forgiven of that. Uh, and I think as you mature, uh, again, I'm assuming you're in Christ. Uh, as you mature in your walk with the Lord, and you understand how much He's done for you, and the price He paid by giving His Son for you, uh, it, it ought to make you uh, think very differently about Him in a way that you don't just use that in vain, or in other words, to say, without purpose. So, uh, But as all sin uh, through Jesus has been forgiven and can be forgiven when we repent of it, First John chapter 1, verse 7 won't be on your screen, but it says, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. So you, you ask, can I, uh, am I forgiven? forgiven? And I, my answer to that is, if you are sincere, and if you are striving genuinely to not do that, then yes, I think so. Uh, like any other sin, if you're repenting, um, God understands no one is perfect and will make mistakes, but uh, certainly something to work on. <clears throat> Jesus said in Matthew 12 that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So as much as you're dealing with a mouth issue, it, it, it also kind of speaks to your heart. And that's, I think, the issue you have to work on. Uh, it's, it's more than just a mouth problem. It's a heart problem. Um, so <clears throat> what to do? You've got to change your heart. And uh, how do you do that? You do that by renewing your mind. Let's look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I would encourage you to read more scriptures that honor and revere God, uh, to uh, avoid uh, uh, hearing uh, television shows, movies, uh, music, and so forth, things, and even people that misuse the name of God. The more that you hear that and are exposed to that, obviously the more you're going to repeat it. So <clears throat> fill it with the good, uh, remove some of the bad, be transformed, and I think that will help you as you go along. Okay. Yeah, the verse that we need explained here, and that's Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. The viewer says, explain that one. It talks about God punishing children for their parents' sin. Well, that sounds kind of 
ungodly, doesn't it? Uh, that God would punish children because their parents did something wrong. So let's check that out. Let's read the verse and see if our viewers read it properly. Exodus 20 verse 5 says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Well, that's what it says. He's going to punish the uh, generations, three and four generations uh, of, of the fathers. Now, there's one part of that verse, sometimes we forget the last few words there. God said, of those who hate me. And that's a clue. Uh, what he's talking about there, and you read the whole context, you see, he's talking about people who turn completely away from him and worship other gods. Uh, idolatry throughout the Bible. In fact, that's one of the first Ten Commandments uh, is don't have any other gods. And God is talking there about people who do that, who take up an idol and begin to worship Baal or Ashtoreth or some of the Old Testament pagan gods or some other god today and in effect hate Jehovah God. So he said when that happens, uh, you know, it's going to be bad for three or four generations. Now, I think what he's doing is just stating a fact there that once a generation turns to idolatry, forsakes Jehovah, uh, history shows us it takes three or four generations for people to turn back to Jehovah. Happened over and over in the Old Testament, actually, uh, and still happens today. Somebody that starts going the wrong way, uh, it affects the family for generations. So I, I think that's what he's saying there. Now, the reason I say that, and some people say, well, you're kind of straining there to explain this. One real good Bible study principle is the Bible doesn't contradict itself. If you think a verse means something, the last thing you have to do is check the rest of the Bible to see if there's anything that contradicts what you think it means. Now, let me show you the verse that clarifies things. Uh, so we know Exodus 25 can't mean exactly what it says there. Let's look at this other verse in uh, Ezekiel, chapter 18 and verse 20. Ezekiel clarified this for us. He said, the soul who sins is the one who will die. The son will not share the guilt of the father, nor will the father share the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous man will be credited to him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged to him. All right, that makes that pretty clear. Uh, and that makes a whole lot more sense to us. People, that what you do, you're the one that's got to answer for that. Your son, your grandson doesn't suffer the penalty for that. Okay, now once we know that verse... We go back and look at Exodus 20, verse 5 again, say, well, what's that mean? And what God's got to be talking about is the effects of idolatry will carry on for generations. People will suffer for three and four generations if a grandfather, great-grandfather turns to idolatry, going to mess the family up for a long time. So, uh, I think that's what he's talking about there. It does say that, and a lot of people take just that verse and say, well, that, that just doesn't seem right. Well, it doesn't seem right. It's against the nature of God, and Ezekiel clarified that for us. Uh, so we balance those two concepts, and I think that's a good explanation of uh, what Exodus 20 and verse 5 is talking about.
All right, let's talk about a good way to study the Bible, and uh, we do this every week for just a little bit to let you know there's another way to study the Bible. And we've got some free materials that we're happy to send you. Um, we enjoy answering questions for 30 minutes each week, but uh, a whole lot more in the Bible, and we try to get folks to do a little bit of home Bible study, and we've found some good ways to do it uh, with these courses that we have. Uh, know Your Bible Study Tools, we got lots of them, and the first one is a good introduction to the Bible. You see it on the screen now, and we're happy to send you that. We'll send you the first lesson, and you can try it out. Uh, if it's not something that you find helpful or you don't like it for some reason, that's fine. We won't bother you in any way, but uh, we think you'll like it, and we think you'll learn a lot about the Bible. So, uh Phone number, website, use those to get in touch with us. Tell us that you'd like that free course. We'll send you lesson number one, and you'll know your Bible a little bit better pretty quick. Toby. We have a question that hits right along what you were talking about with the Bible correspondence course, and probably one of the greatest misunderstandings that we have when it concerns questions. Yep. And this person just asked, well, show me where it says that. What scripture states that we are not living under the old law, but are under the new law? And this is why I would encourage you to sign up for the Bible Correspondence Course, especially because it starts out talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament and rightly dividing and understanding the difference. Of course, what we understand is that under in Jesus, we live under a new covenant, a new arrangement, a new uh, uh, agreement between God and us. Whereas uh, through the Old Testament, God said, here's my standard of righteousness. Here's all the things you have to do to achieve that. And what it did was it led us to the understanding that there's no one who's capable of keeping the law perfectly. What Jesus said was when he came into the world, I, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He was the only one who ever uh, fully, completely kept God's perfect standard of righteousness, and he did that so that he might be a perfect sacrifice for all of us who were unable to keep it. On this program, we get a lot of people who really like to cherry-pick uh, verses, especially from the Old Testament, and say, well, you see there, we got to live under that. If we just understood the difference uh, between these two parts of our Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and understanding the the difference between what the purpose of those uh, uh, covenants was and how it changed when Jesus came and fulfilled the law. So I very much appreciate your question. Uh, it would really help uh, so many people who ask a question not quite understanding the difference between the old and the new. But you asked for the verses specifically, so let me give you a couple of them. Uh, found, of course, in uh, the New Testament, verses Romans chapter 7, verse 6. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, the law is righteous, and Paul goes at length to make this argument here. But what he, he says is that... The, the, the trick is that because of our nature, whenever you make a rule, whenever you make a, a do this or a don't do that, there's something within our nature that, that desires or, or leans toward violating, the, breaking the rule. There's something within us that struggles against doing that, and that's the, been the perpetual problem of trying to keep all the rules. Some people love the rules, 
But the problem is the rules only convict us. They only make us aware of how uh, short we fall of God's perfect standard. Uh, And so we are in Christ and we depend on Him for our righteousness. Let's look at the second scripture, which is found in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. As see, our standard of righteousness is not, oh, praise God, is not by keeping all the rules perfectly because no one could, could uh, live up to that standard. But Jesus did, and because he did, if we will accept his free gift of grace... Uh, then we can be uh, declared righteous because of what He did. uh, And through Him, uh, we learn to live in a new way and not by the old way of the written code, which was nailed to the cross. So, hope that helps. Okay. Viewer wants to know a hypothetical here. Uh, Can you baptize yourself? Well, we kind of try not to deal with hypotheticals on this program, but... And still people dream them up and think about them, so we'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, Let me say this first. There's no example uh, in the Bible of anybody baptizing themselves. There's always somebody else that does the act uh, for them. Uh, In fact, baptism is not something, a work that you do yourself. You don't do any work. Somebody else lowers you into the water in general. Uh, But there's no example. Now, hypothetically, if you get marooned on a desert island and all you've got is a Bible and you read about baptism and decide you need to do that and that's how you're going to be saved and all that, hypothetically, could you baptize yourself? Well, yeah, I guess so. Uh, I think it would be better than not. (laughs) But uh, that's a pretty unlikely situation. Uh, So can you... I guess if you get in that situation, go ahead and <laughs> give it a shot. Uh, baptism, however, is about the heart and God. So in essence, the baptizer doesn't have any role in it uh, particularly. Uh, but I think we ought to think about it a little more before we start advocating everybody just baptize themselves. Uh, one purpose of baptism I think why God ordered it uh, is it's a witness. Uh, It shows other people that I'm dying with Christ. I'm being buried with him. I'm going to be raised and I'm going to live a new life. That's what the act says. It's a demonstration of that. It's a a witness to other people. Uh, So why anybody would want to keep it secret uh, and baptize themselves and not tell other people or let other people be a part of it, uh, I don't think that fits with the whole concept of what baptism is. Uh, I think it's much better uh, to find somebody that you respect, that's a, a mature Christian, maybe the one who showed you Christ, uh, and ask them to help you, assist you in your baptism, and celebrate the joy with you. Uh, That's what we read about in the Bible. 
uh, always people who were taught, then the person who taught them usually baptized them, and then after that they rejoiced. So I think that's the best pattern. Uh, instead of dealing in hypotheticals, the Bible just doesn't talk about anybody baptizing themselves. So uh, probably not the best practice to to think about, but one of those hypothetical things we can wonder about, I guess. Let me take a moment and talk about a good uh, you visiting the Churches of Christ. We are kept on the air by Churches of Christ, and we like to mention a few different ones each week. Uh, we mention a couple in Kansas today, and Sylvia, Kansas, and Isabel, Kansas. Uh, both of those are fine congregations of the Church of Christ, and they're folks that help keep us on the air. And uh, they find a group of people there that think and study about the Bible a whole lot like we do on this program. So uh, drop in sometime, or if you know somebody that attends one of those churches, uh, tell them you saw them on Know Your Bible, and you appreciate them providing it for you. Speaking of Churches of Christ, let me tell you about a special uh, event coming up, and this is for ladies only, uh, so you men can take a break here for just a moment, but uh, the Women's Conference, Women Walking with God Conference, takes place April 13th and 14th in Wichita. There's a website there, womenwalkingwithgod.org. You can get and uh, check on that and find all about what goes on. Uh, let me just tell you, it's a first-class uh, women's event, great teachers from all over the country, uh, great experience with uh, 1,500 plus women uh, come from all over the country and uh, just find a great time each year. This has been going on for over a decade and has become very, very popular. So if you're watching this program and uh, you're a woman that wants a little spiritual encouragement, uh, some teaching and uh, some fun with other Christian women, uh, they have a great time on that weekend. So April 13th and 14th, womenwalkingwithgod.org. Look it up and you'll find out there's lots of great things going on in Wichita, Kansas that weekend. And you're invited. Okay, uh, viewer asked the question, what exactly does obedience mean and how do I be obedient? I truly, I really want to be truly obedient to God. Well, I, I very much appreciate your sincerity and uh, you obviously clearly desire to uh, be obedient to God and, and the best way to be obedient, of course obedience means to, to obey, to uh, do what uh, is commanded and you're specifically talking about being obedient to the Lord, well, the best way to do that is simply to open your Bible and look at what He commands us to do. And so if you're a new Bible student, I'd strongly recommend that you begin with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read through the Gospel accounts. They're not incredibly lengthy, but you can learn about Jesus and what He did for you and then what He commanded to do. So when we talk about obeying, we're talking about obeying the New Testament teaching. Uh, as we understand, we answered the question uh, about uh, living under the old law versus the new law. Uh, we are responsible to obey uh, the, the commands of Christ and the apostles that He appointed. Uh, Jesus said, this is love for me. If you say you love me, obey, what, uh, obey the commands. Uh, and so that's how we show our love for Christ. We're not earning that. We're just showing that we believe in Him and that we trust Him. We're going to do what He says. Uh, how do we become a Christian? If you're not a, in Christ, I'm going to tell you to turn to Romans chapter 6 
and just read through that. It's very clear uh, to repent and be baptized uh, so you can walk in newness of life. You can uh, have a new life and through Christ. If you are a Christian, a really good chapter on starting uh, how to obey Christ as you grow in Christ is Romans chapter 12. Gives you some very practical things, the book of James. Of course, the entire New Testament is full of those things. But if you're just starting out and you say, I want to I be obedient, I want to do what Christ has called me to do, uh, it's very, uh, well, I say simple, but it's not always easy. Jesus calls you to do things like loving your enemies and praying for them. Uh, that's that's kind of hard. Sometimes it, it takes some training and it takes some practice of those things. Other commands are very simple and easy. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, and so that's, that's what I would encourage you to do. You can read through the New Testament very easily in about 30 days. And just as you go along, underline the things or highlight the things which Jesus and the apostles called us to do. Let's finish by looking at two sets of scriptures, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then James chapter 1, verse 22, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. So I hope those are helpful. All right. If you ever want to know about the reading <clears throat> plan here and which book of the Bible to read first, well, I'm sure you could ask a lot of people and get a lot of different answers. Uh, my answer would be start with the book of Luke. Uh, I think it's a, one of the Gospels that is an excellent account of Jesus' life. All of them are good, but the reason I recommend Luke is because when you're done with that, then you can go right to the book of Acts. And Luke wrote that one also. Uh, when he started Luke, he said, I've investigated this story fully, and I want to give you the whole story of Jesus. And then when he starts the book of Acts, he says, in my former book, I wrote about everything Jesus did until he was taken up to heaven, and now I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. So he tells about the church and how it started. Great pair of books to uh, start your Bible reading with. Luke and Acts is what I'd recommend. Okay, uh, first person asks the question, where does Jesus say, I have come to seek and save the lost? Well, Steve, I'm glad you recommended in your last question that this viewer read the book of Luke because that's exactly where they're going to find this. Uh, I came to seek and save the lost is found in the book of Luke, uh, chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to <coughs> seek and to save what was lost. And he goes on talking about there how telling different stories about a lost coin and uh, a lost son. The parable of the prodigal son is a famous, well-known story. Uh, it reminds us that the heart of uh, our shepherd is with the sheep who are lost. And so we, too, should have that same desire, not just to revel in the fact that we're saved, but also to uh, thank God that um, he still loves the lost and wants to seek them out. All righty. Thank you for your answer and for your questions today. We thank the audience. Let's make sure we get our audience question answered. Uh, we ask about Joseph's first owner in Egypt since he was sold into slavery in Egypt, and that fellow was named Potiphar. Uh, he was the captain of the palace guard, <clears throat> and things went well there for a while, and then they didn't go so well. 
because Potiphar's wife was kind of an evil woman. So she <laughs> she got Joseph in trouble and he lost his job. And you can read about that if you want to. Good story. But Potiphar was his first owner. All right, we're glad you've been with us today and uh, studied the Bible for a little bit with us. Uh, we're going to be next, back next week and try to answer some more of your questions. And like we say every week, uh, if you've got a question about something specific in the Bible or maybe something in your life, We'll try to answer it for you. We'll find you an answer. So just call it in or log on and let us know. We're glad you've been with us today and uh, hope we see you next week. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.